Stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, visit www.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. And hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week Broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite Listen to the Anarchist World This Week Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse Listen to analysis of local, national and international events Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, and I'm hosting today's program via the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, but broadcast uh, nationally on the Community Radio Network, north to south, east to west, up and down and around, and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A-U. Right, anarchy. Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? Well, you saw off the legs of the chairs of rulers. So what is what are the legs of the chairs? Power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to improve people's life through the struggle to devolve power. That means share power and the struggle to share wealth. Very simple concept. It's part of the human condition. It has been part and parcel of human existence from day one. Sharing power and wealth. Do we look after the collective or do we bow and worship at the feet of the elite? The choice is yours. I made my choice 50 years ago and I'm not bowing and kowtowing to the elites. But if you wish to do that and you are happy about royal children and presidents and religious, you know, gurus who promise you the earth, well, good luck to you, but this is not the type of program for you. The Anarchist World this week is for independent thinkers, people who are willing to get involved in that struggle or who have been in that, involved in that struggle and now enjoying the fruits of that struggle. All right, let's move on. I'm going to be a bit self-indulgent today. We're going to talk a, a fair bit about all the activities that... Um, the Anarchist Institute and public interest before corporate interests are involved in. I think it's important that we uh, keep these uh, up and up and running uh, because uh, obviously what we're trying to do is create a parallel society. And although uh, you know, our efforts are minuscule in compared to uh, what's needed, at least they are steps. Now, the first thing I'd like to talk about is the West Papua and Rent Collective. Now, I know West Papua's fallen out of the news since the Indonesian elections have been held. But let's not forget that over 50,000 West Papuan refugees have been pouring out of the hills in West Papua as the Indonesian military has intensified its attacks on the West Papuan independence movement. Now, I have been the convener of the West Papuan independence movement rent collective for over four, four and a half, five years. The office, the West Papuan office, 
in Melbourne is critical to the independence struggle. It's one of the few offices in the world which is able to coordinate um, activities. Um, the Rent Collective ensures that the rent is paid and the West Papuan activists in this country and their supporters can actually get on with the struggle of West Papuan independence through the United Nations, through peaceful, non-violent uh, activity. Now, we are in a bit of a pickle, and I keep saying this over the years, but nobody seems to listen, but we are getting to a critical stage. We need more members for the West Papuan Rent Collective. You can either make a one-off donation to the Rent Collective, or you can become a member, and to become a member, you need to pay in a dollar a day. We don't need your name. We don't need your address. You just walk into a Commonwealth Bank. I'm happy to give you the details. And you can anonymously deposit $30 a month or $360. What this does is pays the rent for the office in Docklands at 838 Collins Street in Docklands. This office is a quasi-embassy for West Papua Independence in Australia. It is an important part of that framework uh, that is required to pursue an independent struggle that has stretched over 60 years, which has resulted in the deaths of over 500,000 West Papuans and from a population of less than 2 million. That's a huge amount of people that have died in that struggle, and it's a struggle which is ongoing. And those people who think that the West Papuans of Buckley's and none of achieving independence think about uh, what happened in Timor-Leste. So if you would like to have a look at their website, it's DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, Federal Republic of West Papua.org. DFAT, D-F-A-I-T, dot Federal Republic of West Papua.org. If you want to join the Ren Collective, give me a call on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Eight, nine. As I said before, you can join the REN Collective anonymously. So give us a call, join the REN Collective, keep this office going. The way we are going, we may have to move in the next 12 to 18 months, but people need, you need to get your priorities in order. I mean, people say, oh, well, oh, well. West Papua is less than 60 kilometres from the Australian mainland, less than 60 kilometres I mean, we all get excited about what's happening in the Middle East and North Africa and, you know, uh, South America and the list goes on and on and Venezuela. But uh, wouldn't it be nice to get excited about what's going on in our doorsteps, one of the longest independent struggle in the history of, uh, of the world, a David and Goliath struggle. And if there's one group that actually needs support, it's the West Papua uh, Independence Movement. So we encourage you to join the Ren Collective and give practical, physical support so that they can actually continue their struggle in this country and around the world and in West Papua. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Great present to give to a you know an old person who's seen it all, got everything. Give him a uh, you know say look. I've joined the West Papua Rent Collective on your behalf for the next 12 months. I've put in my $365. Here's a certificate stating, you know, stating that and bingo. For the cost of a few packets of cigarettes, 20 or 30 pizzas, 20 or 30, you know, takeaway meals, you can actually support one of the most important struggles on the planet today. 
Let's move on. Steps to a home campaign. Now, since December 2016, I've been involved in the struggle to raise the profile of uh, public housing in the state of Victoria and the rest of Australia, obviously, with many other people. And it's been one of the most difficult struggles possible. And I'll tell you why. Because the usual people you would expect to see line up behind you are nowhere to be seen. And it's basically up to a few marginal, marginalised groups to actually continue and conduct this struggle. And it's very simple. Why? The Victorian Labor government has the big plans for the public housing sector. It wants to privatise them. It has big plans and it's already star embarked on that course. And although our campaign caused them a little bit of uh, discomfort before the last, the last state election and the housing minister was uh, transferred to another ministry, Mr Foley, and the government did promise at the uh, eve of the election to build another 1,000 public uh, housing units over four years, believe it or not, the struggle basically stopped when the Victorian government won an exceptionally uh, good mandate in the lower house. So since then, we have continued to conduct this struggle under the Public Housing Everybody's Business logo, as well as defend and extend public housing, but mainly under the Public Housing Everybody's Business logo. And we have a very simple solution to the housing crisis. Now, public housing is everybody's business. It's not just people who are dirt poor, who are homeless, who are couch surfing, who are sleeping rough. It's everybody's business. It's the business of people who are renting. It's the business of people who have got a mortgage. It's the business of people who've got their own home. And believe it or not, it's the business of investors. Because the security which is afforded afforded in a public housing situation gives people and their children the ability to develop themselves to their fullest potential. The re-election of the Victorian Labor government with an increased majority in the uh, lower house and a favourable uh, crossbench in the upper house legislative council has opened the door for the government to fully privatise public housing in this state. As I said before, the Victorian state government was forced to modify its policies slightly before the last state election because the campaigns that people had been conducting for public housing were beginning to have a minimal beginning to have an effect. Public housing is for everybody who can't afford to buy a house. It's very simple, or a home. Because during the past two decades, the, the ideology behind public housing, and remember it is a political ideology, has been radically altered. When public housing was first introduced after the, first, after the Second World War, as a result of servicemen and women coming back from service and finding they uh, were homeless 
If you don't believe me, look at the uh, tent cities in the MCG in the Botanical Gardens in Victoria, which I'm aware of. This pressure led to the creation of a public housing sector which was based on the idea that if you could not afford to buy a home, that you could enter a public housing estate or unit for 25% of your income. Now, that ideology has been turned on its head during the privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation, deregulation era. And we now see organisations which have long championed the need for public housing now throwing their hat in the ring to get a little bit of money for their organisations to get on the ground floor to benefit, these organisations to benefit from the privatisation of public housing. Because we now have in the state of Victoria, there's no difference between a private housing, a public housing waiting list and the community, which is a private waiting list, or even the the Victorian Aboriginal uh, Housing Cooperative has also placed its people on the one waiting list. Now, last financial year, the Victorian state government was able to was able to rake in over six billion dollars in land tax. So, in stamp duty revenue, this is the tax you pay if you're in the lucky position to be able to afford to buy a home, and you don't pay that stamp duty over time. You don't pay pay that stamp duty once you've paid off your home or your unit. You pay that stamp duty before that contract is finalised. It is part of that contract. You don't pay the the stamp duty, you don't get your home. It's that simple. So it's guaranteed income for the government. Now, a simple solution to the current housing crisis, and not you know, and it is a crisis when people are spending thirty, forty, fifty percent of their income on rent or mortgage repayments, because that means that there isn't enough disposable income, especially in a period where there is no wage growth and Social Security benefits have basically remained stable, haven't increased, except, you know, due to CPI. It's essential that that money is freed up so people can actually act as a stimulus for the economy. Now, I know I'm standing like an economist now, but it's, it's simple. So if you've got a strong public housing sector, you provide secure, stable housing for a fixed amount, 25% of a person's income, which resolves the homeless crisis. You've got the potential for people who are now paying rent who will never be able to buy a home to actually go into public housing. And you've also got the potential to use public housing as a mechanism via which people uh, initially move into public housing then maybe be in a position to even buy that public housing and move on as far as their housing situation is concerned. So what public housing everybody's business has been suggesting is that 
well, not suggesting, demanding, is that stamp duty revenue, which is a tax paid on buying a home, is quarantined for public housing. If that is done, homelessness can be eradicated in four weeks. 100,000 people, that's the whole waiting list, can be accommodated in public housing within a year and a million Victorians could be, uh, up to a million Victorians could be housed in public housing within a decade. And if this is replicated across the country, you could have huge impacts on the housing market. You could see rents decrease because of increase, uh, increasing stock becoming available as people move into public housing. You could see housing price at the bottom end of the market decrease and allowing more people to enter uh, and get mortgages, obtain mortgages. And you would see a huge amount of money released back in the economy to resolve the recessionary uh, pressures which are now being forced on this country because of reduced wage growth and increasing housing uh, repayments. So it's a win-win situation. Now we're conducting a new campaign called Steps to a Steps to a Home, not a house. Steps to a Home, because this is a debate about political will. This is not a debate about whether it can be done or not. You don't have to build multi-story apartments everywhere. You can actually sp- spot purchase across the country, across the uh, state and across the country. Purchase established homes to accommodate people. It's a matter of political will. In Victoria, there are 88 members of the Legislative Assembly and 40 members of the Legislative Council. Every single member is a member of political party. There are no independents. Although there could be one independent who's broken away from the Justice Party and the Legislative Council. They're all members of political parties. And instead of having a half a dozen or a dozen or two dozen or three dozen or a hundred or so people at the weekly rallies on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, the next rally will be at 8am on the 15th of May. That's Public Housing Everybody's Business. Go to the Facebook page, Public Housing Everybody's Business, to find out what's happening in um, May and June. The reality is that if you had 10,000 people there every week, it wouldn't take long for those 88 members in the Legislative Assembly and the, and the 40 members in the Legislative Council to realise that there was so much political pressure being placed on them for them to pass legislation to expand the public housing sector. It can be done. It can be done. It means feet on the ground. It doesn't mean clicking a like button on the public housing, everybody's business uh, Facebook page. It's not become, it's not, doesn't mean becoming a friend. It's about feet on the ground. Now, in order to build up this campaign, this is a four-year campaign. We're not going to go away. This is a four-year campaign. In order to build up this campaign, we'll be conducting a 24-hour vigil during the winter solstice which is the 21st of June, which is the coldest and the shortest, well, theoretically the coldest, but it is the shortest day of the year, to highlight the plight of people who are battling to stay in accommodation today. 24 hours, midnight to midnight. It's a Friday, 
Come and join us. So if you go to the Facebook page, Public Housing Everybody's Business, or go to the Defend and Extend Public Housing uh, uh, Facebook page, you'll uh, get information. But uh, again, again, this campaign will go on. Whether it succeeds or not basically depends on the people of uh, Victoria and the people of Australia. If people get involved, the campaign will succeed. If they don't get involved, well, we will continue the way we are and things will continue to get worse as the wage growth diminishes and the country slides into recession. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Law Week. Do you know it's Law Week? Yep, Law Week in the state of Victoria. Not the rest of Australia. I assume every other state has its Law Week. But I'd just like to call out... I'd like to make a statement about the first people who set up a free legal aid centre in this country. People who've been written out of the history of the legal aid, history books, of the history books of this country. People I knew personally, most of whom have died, In 1971, the Collingwood Three Store, which had been set up by the anarchists involved with Dingo, an anarchist newspaper in Melbourne, set up, established the first three legal aid centre in Australia. That's right. Anarchists set up the first three legal aid centre in this country. And I'd just like to make, put it on the public record. The people from the Colling, uh, Collingwood Three Store at, fifth, at 42 Smith Street in uh, Collingwood in 1971 set up the first legal three legal aid centre as part of the services which are offered by the Collingwood Three Store. The Three Store was based on the principle you took what you needed and left what you didn't. Very simple concept. Wasn't based on bartering, wasn't based on exchanging shekels or uh, tapping a car, which didn't exist in 1971, but that's what it was based on. So just like to remind people who are going to go to events during Law Week about the pivotal role anarchists in Melbourne played in establishing three legal aid. And it's quite a... And uh, almost uh, 50 years later, well, 40 years later, it's uh, sickening to see... Well, it's actually almost 50 years later. It's sickening to see how the concept of free legal aid has been throttled by successive conservative and reactionary governments at the, uh, at the federal and state level. And we've now got the situation where... Unless you're, you know, even you're facing, you know, exceptionally serious criminal charges, that the chance of getting legal aid are none. Which during law week we need to remember means that the clog, the courts are clogged with people trying to defend themselves who don't understand the ropes. 
the people who are innocent could be found guilty because they don't actually have any legal, legal, legal to defend them. And that justice becomes the, becomes the sole property of the rich. Look at Mr Clive Palmer, who is trying to buy a Senate seat and most likely will buy a Senate seat with the help of Liberal Party preferences, who faces potential serious charges regarding the way he has been managing some of his uh, extensive uh, corporate empire and how he can actually use the legal system Legally, of course. Legally used like that, tautology. I can use the legal system to put the day of reckoning beyond, you know, reach. Now, it's quite interesting to see that outside the United States of America, Australia now has the highest incarceration rate per head of population than any country in the Western world because we are relying more on more on incarcerating people than actually uh, trying to resolve issues which uh, lead to people being involved in criminal activity which basically affects themselves and the people around them. So it's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in Law Week where the law has now once again become the preserve of the rich and powerful. Listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, those of you who are wondering why I'm not saying much about the federal election, well, I'm not saying much about the federal election for a number of reasons. One, this is the first federal election since 1988 I have not been a candidate in, and I made a conscious decision not to be a candidate in this uh, federal election, and I've stood, you know, uh, as an independent, both in the upper house, that's the Senate, and in the uh, federal legislative... uh, uh, House of Representatives, you know, the lower house. And I've basically, after many, many years, come to the conclusion that the, unless you're a high-profile independent with lots and lots of money behind you, the chances of people being elected are minimal. And it's the political parties that dominate the parliamentary process or representative democracy in this country. And since late 2015, I've been involved with public interests before corporate interests, which is a political party and an action group. It's both, both political party and action group, which wants to put the interests of the many before the interests of the few, public interests before corporate interests. Now, if you want to go to their website, pibci.net, pibci.net, you can actually see the extent of the uh, ideas and activities of public interests before corporate interests. Now, we've got a dilemma. For the last 12 months, we've been hovering around 400 members in the party who are on the electoral roll. That's around 400. In order to be registered as a federal political party, we need 150 members on the electoral roll to come registered as a federal political party. And although we'll be making a push in the next month or so to increase that membership, it's now up to you whether we go ahead or not, because without the necessary numbers, we'll never be able to be registered as a federal political party. And if you can't register as a federal political party, well, your chances in the parliamentary elections of actually influencing debate, not actually being elected, but influencing debate are minimal. So I encourage you to go to pipsy.net, have a look at the uh, application form and join. If you're not on a computer, 
You can always write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052 for application forms, or you can download them from pibcpibci.net. And those of you who already pre-voted for this federal election, who've seen the Senate uh, offerings and the offerings in your House of Representatives, you may be surprised at how few candidates there, there, there really are in this election. And what's interesting about this election is the dearth of ideas from the Liberal National Party Coalition. I have never seen a group of people in my lifetime, which is over 65 years on this planet, who have so few ideas, who have no ideas, who are so beholden that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication that all they can crap on about is, you know, money. That's right. On the same day, the United Nations issued an emergency alert that a million species are facing extinction on planet Earth because of human activity and that si- signalling that urban space had doubled since 1992, the current Inma- Environment Minister, Madam Melissa Price, is missing in action. And the current Prime Minister, Mr Morrison, says, well, we've legislated for that. Come on. Legislated for what? For the last 20 years, this country, the political leaders in this country and the major political parties have done everything they can to push aside the issue of climate change and now the issue of a climate emergency. Because, unfortunately, as far as politics in this country is concerned, It's run at a level which most of us will never be able to, you know, be involved in, unless you've got the assets Mr Clive Palmer has. And as Madam, as Divided Nation is finding out, uh, that uh, the so-called United United, uh, Nation crowd is, you know, pushing them aside because of the amount of money which is actually pushed into the election uh, electioneering. But more importantly, it's about policies. Although you'd think, looking at the Liberal National Party currently, if they've got one policy that makes sense, I'd be interested in listening to it. I mean, they want to continue franking credits, they want to continue negative gearing. I mean, these are policies which the Labor Party is looking at. They want to continue family trusts. This is another policy the Labor Party is looking at. They want to continue, you know, grinding on, you know, supporting the coal industry. You know, it just goes on and on. On and on and on. And whenever somebody deviates from the correct line outside the Liberal National Party, you've got the Murdoch in our media jumping up and down and carrying on as if the end of the universe has come. Quite extraordinary situation. Quite extraordinary. So I haven't been that excited 
you've got to have to make up your mind what you're going to do before the 18th of May or on the 18th of May. That's your business. I don't particularly care. It's your business. But I think maybe occasionally it would be good when people vote that they actually put the interests of the country, the interests of the people around them, before their own personal interests. Because there seems to be a debate about personal interests and uh, more uh, collectivist interests, more interests of the of the society as a whole. So this is something that we really have to look at. So if you're voting, you make your choice, how you feel fit, but maybe occasionally think about things bigger than you because we all need to think about things that are a little bit bigger than us because if we don't, if we don't, well, that means is that we never progress as a society. Society is not a collection of individuals. Society is a collection of people for common goal. So what's our common goal? To aspire to create personal wealth, which seems to be the thrust of much of this election campaign? Or is our common goal to aspire to create an environment where everybody can actually develop themselves to their fullest potential in the safest environment possible? So it is a matter of conflicting ideological concerns. Don't let anybody tell you it isn't. On the one hand, we have that small section of society that owns them is reduction, distribution, exchange, communication, dominating political debate, setting the parliamentary agenda, ensuring that the issues that are first and foremost in people's minds are those issues which uh, have an impact on their profits? Or do we look at uh, individuals and political parties that provide a, a different, um, a different uh, story, a different narrative? The issue is yours. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scarn. If you've got any complaints, send them to me. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can join the West Papua Rent Collective today. Give me a call on 0439 395 489 and I'll send you out the necessary uh, material. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Now, I've been following the Israeli Israel Falu debate and uh, what committee hearing for some time now, and I'm a little bit concerned. I'm a little bit concerned. Now, Mr Falu has been found that he has breached a code of conduct which he signed up to with the Australian Rugby Union. My concern is that there are all these... These codes of conducts are everywhere. When you enter a job, you sign a code of conduct. When you 
acquire a service, you may have to sign up to a code of conduct. Now, when Mr. Falou said that uh, atheists, as well as you know, drunkards and adulterers and homosexuals and would burn in hell, he was basically referring to the Old Testament and what's in the Old Testament. And we've recently had a, a, an important High Court case, which I, I don't think a decision has been handed down in, where a federal uh, bureaucrat was fired because she was using anonymous Twitter stream to criticise government policies regarding immigration. Obviously, there's a code of conduct if you're a public service servant. So I'm quite concerned about the idea that we can sign away rights which we have in the Constitution, even if they're implied rights to freedom of speech, when we sign a code of conduct, whether it's a commercial arrangement, a contractual arrangement, a job arrangement, a workplace arrangement. Because legally you cannot sign away your rights to the basic wage even if you sign a a code of conduct which says you're happy to work for $3 an hour. So how is it that across this country we are now finding people, whether they're bureaucrats, federal bureaucrats or uh, rugby union players, who are facing huge impositions on their lives, like their loss of their livelihood, because they've been forced to sign a code of conduct which, which means that they have signed away constitutional rights they have. Now, it's one thing working outside the law and breaking the law, that's quite clear. It's an, and it's, but it's another thing, having rights that you have, inalienable rights you have, removed so you can actually earn a livelihood. Important debate. Very important debate. So don't get, you know, get caught up in the hullabaloo. The hullabaloo is how can it be that we can sign away implicit, implied constitutional rights in order to hold down a job? Obviously, with whistleblower protection legislation, people have come to the understanding that, you know, whistleblowers need protection. So I'm not willing to sign a code of conduct which denies me my right to my implied constitutional freedom of speech. And I've lived my life like that for the last 50 years since I've been in the workforce. 
And that's why I'm, you know, I'm a, in private practice, sole practitioner. And that's an issue that each and every one of us who are in the workforce faces. And we now may face the issue of having to sign a code of conduct which denies us constitutional rights in order to receive social security benefits. It's a little bit like uh, people having their social security payments quarantined by the state, irrespective of whether they've got a track record of being able to look after themselves or not. Because if I, as a medical practitioner, want to section somebody, that means I rule them invalid because of a psychiatric illness, they do have a right of appeal. It's not something which is done willy-nilly. There are all these protections in law to protect people from having their rights, because they're ill, removed. But it now seems that it's open season on anybody seeking employment that they must give up constitutional rights in order to get a job. Quite an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. Listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. All right, what's happening in Sudan? You know I've taken a personal interest in uh, the social revolution, not the boring revolution, economic revolution, but a social revolution which is occurring in Sudan where for the first time in human history we've seen Sharia law put under pressure. We've seen people openly during this revolutionary period uh, break down Sharia law. We've seen the military's been paralysed by divisions within it. Now, currently... There is a move afoot to try to split the opposition, which is a a fragmented group, and two two proposals have been put up to the people who have been surrounding military headquarters in Khartoum. And as we speak, the temperatures in Khartoum are 45, 46 degrees. It's the beginning of Ramadan, which is obviously a religious festival, which means people can't eat or drink from uh, daybreak to, to dusk. So the participants in this in these uh, long-standing demonstrations around military headquarters and demonstrations across the cities of, of Sudan, you know, increasing uh, pressure on them. So the military council, which has been set up to rule the country for the next four years before there's a transition to uh, civilian rule, has put up the proposal. The military council holds the position of defence and a few other important positions in the government and the rest of the positions are handed over to a civilian authority. And obviously, although a lot of the politicians are kind of, you know, moving, you know, been involved in these discussions, most of the Sudanese people who've been involved in these protests over the last four to five months are refusing to budge. They don't want a military council transitional authority and they especially don't want a military council that's got full power over the military. In Australia, for example, it's the civilian government which calls the shots as far as the military is concerned and that is the same in any democracy, representative democracy. 
It is the civilian government, the government elected by the people, which calls the shots. Not the military in its own right. So why should the people of Sudan settle for less? So this is the current debate in that particular part of the world. Now, talking about evil, it comes in many forms. And the uh, Brunei of, of the Sultan of Brunei must have a special place waiting for him in hell. Not that I believe in that bullshit. Now, it looks like he's been put under a little bit of pressure because he's the first... I mean, Brunei, which is about 492,000 people, is a little country which is squashed between uh, Borneo and Malaysia, Borneo or Kalimantan in Indonesia and Malaysia. It refused to join the uh, the Malaysian um, state when it was formed, I think it was 1964, and in 1984 actually acquired its independence from Britain. But unlike most of the uh, countries in that region, it is a Islamic monarchy. The dear old Sultan has absolute power in that country. And he'd like to reintroduce Sharia law, or introduce Sharia law. You know, the full bells and whistles type, as you all heard about, you know, the stoning of homosexuals, stoning of adulterers, and the list goes on and on. You know, you don't want to use big stones, you want to use little stones, you know, because you want to make them suffer before they die. Now, unfortunately for the Brunei, things have changed around the world and there was a little bit of pressure placed on his commercial interests because the problem that all these Middle Eastern and uh, uh, monarchies have around the world that are based on oil revenue, which have been propped up by the Western governments, especially the United States of America and Britain for generations, is that as the oil begins to become less important, petrol begins to become less important to the world, the wealth which they have been able to use to export their particular brand of religion is beginning to dissipate and that means that people in their own nation are beginning to get a little bit uh, toey. And what we saw in Saudi Arabia last week was the execution of uh, 36 uh, uh, Shia Muslims, supposedly for being uh, terrorists, and the crucifixion of one after he was beheaded. And these are public executions. These are executions which rival any of the atrocities that uh, Islamic State is said to have been accused of. So we are seeing them trying to diversify their interests and buying up stuff around the world. And that was the Sultan's undoing. He's taken a step back. He said, oh, well, we'll take the death penalty off now. But if things change, watch out, boys and girls. Now, his personal wealth is only $20 billion, I understand, which is less than what Gina Reinhardt has. So I can't see why um, the boy can't be uh, turfed out. If you own the Dorchester and the Beverly Hills Hotel and you've kind of made your uh, reputation as a playboy when you're a younger man and uh, now you're owner of luxury hotels, obviously you're going to have economic pressure placed on you. And that's the interesting part that we've seen over the last... Um, decade or so is how more and more economic pressure has been placed on companies to change their tunes. When governments refuse to legislate in the interest of the public, 
extra-parliamentary groups who cannot galvanise enough public uh, protest do have the option of using the economic cudgel because capitalism is all about making a buck and there is nothing more skitty than a shareholder. Talk about skitty horses in a race, but there is nothing more skitty than a shareholder. Shareholders don't care about the companies they invested in the majority of cases. What they care is in the dividend they receive and the value of the share. And if economic pressure is placed on companies to change their tune and divest themselves of tobacco and coal, you know, and be more friendly towards different groups in the community, well, in order to ensure if they're publicly listed, to ensure they've got enough cash to expand and survive, survive and expand, well, they need to change their tune. And we've seen the environmental movement, the green movement, put more and more pressure on large corporations to change their uh, anti-environmental um, policies. And you can see this also happening as far as these uh, dictatorial regimes are concerned that have got foreign investments. So think about it. There's not just vigils and protests and parliamentary politics and revolutionary change. There's also economic boycotts. Very effective in a capitalist society, exceptionally effective in a capitalist society, especially with a publicly listed company which relies on shareholder funds in order to continue to survive. So if you do have investments, maybe some listeners do, and some of you have them inadvertently because you've got a superannuation fund, take the time to find out what they're investing in. And if you don't like what they're investing in, pull out your funds and go to another fund that's actually more ethical as far as its investment portfolio is concerned. Why should your retirement be the, be the product of somebody else's ruin? Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, talking about important days, there's another important day coming up. A reconciliation is coming up. It'll last from Reconciliation Week from the 25th, 26th of uh, May to the 3rd of June. And uh, we've always been, we've always uh, promoted Reconciliation Week. Uh, this year, uh, Marbo Day will be celebrated here in Melbourne on the 3rd of June at midday, which is a Monday, midday the 3rd of June at Federation Square, 12 till 1. Come and join us, Federation Square, 12 till 1, Marbo Day. Put that in your diary. As I said before, there's lots of things happening, uh, things that are organised. Uh, uh, because, see, what, you, what we're trying to create is not just people who say no, the knights of no. What we're trying to create is movements which celebrate the past and which celebrate pivotal moments in this nation's history. We celebrate pivotal moments in this nation's history, like the 3rd of June when the High Court of Australia in 1992 decided by a six-to-one majority that Indigenous Australians had rights to lands in law because of their prior occupation of this land. We celebrate Eureka Day, the 3rd of December, because Eureka Day was the day, was the day, that ordinary people 
stood together collectively and changed the course of this country's history. And we celebrate the 20th of January, the day Tanaminawaya Mōbōhina were hung for having the audacity to resist white colonisation. And the list goes on and on. There are days that are important to us. We celebrate the life of Francesco Fantin in early November on the first Sunday nearest... um, uh, the first Sunday nearest Armistice Day. So we do organise events in order to create a social cohesiveness. We just celebrated May Day last week, the 1st of May. So how we go about our lives and the the steps we take in order to initiate change to a significant degree belong to us. We are the ones who are the catalyst for change. I mean, 10 million people, 12 million people can vote at the election on the 18th of May and we can have a new government or the old government making power. But that's going to make little change to the day-to-day activities of most people's lives. So it's individuals combining with other individuals which eventually take issues from the margins to the mainstream. And as activists, we are always on the margins, but but we are always involved in activities which highlight not just the inequalities, but which highlight the steps we can take to create a more collectivist, egalitarian community. Now, I wouldn't be wasting my time for the last 42 years on air here at the Community Radio 3CR and broadcasting on the community radio network for the last, what, 12 years, you know, and being an activist for over 50 years, if I didn't think there was possibility of change. And there is always the possibility of change. And when you lose that hope, and hope is the love child of desire, the desire for change, and more importantly, the expectation that change will occur, you've basically been destroyed by mainstream society. So we need to keep that hope alive, and you keep that hope alive by being involved continuously in activities and actions to promote those egalitarian values, that struggle to devolve power and that struggle to share wealth, which is fundamental, the fundamental essence of the anarchist struggle. You've been listening to the anarchist world this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scan. with a few websites to go to. Uh, Pipsy, P-I-B-C-I.net, anarchismedia.org. You can download the application form to put, join Pipsy from pipsy.net. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page, the Twitter stream. You can go to my Twitter stream. I've forgotten what it was. Pipsy dot underscore AU, Pipsy underscore AU. You can go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate, and see me on the flesh, wear sunglasses, and take a stem at all before you look at that. All right, thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, streaming live on 3cr.org.au, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program has been coming to you from the studios of Community Radio Station 3CR in Melbourne, 
And you can also write to me. I always enjoy letters at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. That number again, 0439 395 489. Ring now. Join the West Papua and Rent Collective. Get involved in Evil minds at plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.